Good morning. It is great to see you this morning. It is always a joy, and we're very thankful for your presence this morning. We're certainly thankful to the God of heaven who's blessed us so richly uh, to be together and uh, to glorify his holy and righteous name. Uh, as Brother Homer mentioned, it is our first year here, and so thank you uh, for, on behalf of my family and I, for being here one year. I don't know about you, but it went quick for us. And uh, we are all very thankful to be here with you. We want to say thank you to the eldership, the congregation, all of the, the preaching staff, the staff, and all of the members. You've been very and so receptive and warm and encouraging and uh, supportive and helpful, and we are very thankful for that and thankful for you. It has been our joy to be here, and we are certainly looking forward to many more years together. And so thank you very much. My family did surprise me, and so thank you to them for coming. I did not expect it, and uh, it's been a wonderful blessing to have them. My, my, my father's here, my mother's here, my brother's here, three sisters are here, uh, a, a niece and a nephew, uh, two brother-in-laws, um, future-in-law. It just goes on and on and on, and we're very thankful for that, uh, being the next to the youngest of, of, of uh, 13 siblings. Um, they have uh, always taken care of us very well and treated us uh, very, very warmly and very kindly, and we're very thankful for them. It's been a great joy to be with them this week. Thank you all for coming. Uh, our topic this morning is what will your legacy be? What will be your legacy? It is a two-part sermon, and so we'll invite you to come back tonight and so we can talk about the practical nature of leaving a positive spiritual legacy. We'll talk about that tonight, and so we'll invite you back for that. But this morning, we want to begin that sermon with that thought and maybe with this question, what if you could read your own obituary? Now, I know some people write theirs, but that's not what I mean. I mean, what if you didn't write it? What if you woke up in the morning, you opened up the newspaper, and there you were, dead. And you began to read what was written about you. It sounds made up, but that actually happened to somebody. Let me share with you the story. One morning in 1988, I'm sorry, 1888, Alfred Noble, inventor of dynamite, awoke to read his own obituary. The obituary was printed as a result of a simple journalistic error. You see, it was Alfred's brother that had died, and the reporter carelessly reported the death of the wrong brother. Any man would be disturbed under the circumstances, but to Alfred, the shock was overwhelming because he saw himself as the world saw him, the dynamite king, the great industrialist who had made an immense fortune from explosives. This, as far as the general public was concerned, was the entire purpose of Alfred's life. None of his true intentions to break down the barriers that separated men and ideas for peace were recognized or even given serious consideration. He was simply a merchant of death, and for that alone, he would be remembered. As he read the obituary with horror, he resolved to make clear to the world the true meaning and purpose of his life. This could be done through the final disposition of his fortune, his last will and testament an endowment of five annual prizes for outstanding contributions in physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. The sixth category of economics was added later. This would be the expression of his life's ideals and ultimately would be why we would remember him. The result was the most valuable of prizes given to those who had done the most for the cause of world peace. 
It is called today the Nobel Peace Prize. Through an accident, Alfred was given a chance to read his own obituary. The result was he sat out and he did change his legacy. It's very likely we won't get the same chance. And so this morning we asked the question, what will be your legacy? It is the case that people will talk about us when we're gone. In fact, somebody will do our eulogy and they'll say something, but what? And maybe more importantly than what people will say is, what will God say? You know, God does say things about people when they die. He records it in Scripture and makes his assessment of the way they lived and the legacy they left. You read them all the time, and that's exactly what they are. In Hebrews chapter 11, for instance, verse number 5 says, Enoch walked with God, and he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's his legacy. Abraham is called the friend of God, James 2.23. Moses is said to be a faithful servant in all of God's house, Hebrews 3.5. Daniel is called greatly beloved, Daniel 9.22 and 23. And then there's John the Baptist, about whom Jesus himself said, there has not been a greater prophet born of women, Luke 7, 28. Daniel, Job, and Noah are all called righteous, Ezekiel 14, 14. David is described and commonly referred to as a man after God's own heart, Acts 13, 22. Of Abel in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says not only is he speaking of or spoken of, but he still speaks. Hebrews 11 and verse number 4 says, he being dead yet speaketh. Every person in Hebrews chapter 11 can be summed up with the words, these all died in faith. If you haven't considered your legacy, now would be a good time to do that. Because it is the case that time is how we leave our legacy. Our lives are bound by time, and so we talk about it with frequency. In fact, we have many statements with reference to time. We say things like on time and out of time and in the nick of time and it's high time, it's past time. We say things like time is life and it's too late and make up for lost time and beat the clock and time waits for no man. There's overtime, time flies, and time is money, one person told me. And then there's things we can do with time, like spend time. It is currency, and so we spend it. We could also waste time, lose time, use time. We could steal time. I heard one person say, I'm just killing time. Then you could redeem time, and so we should. There are things we cannot do with time. However, we can't get time back. We can't receive more time. We can't turn back the hands of time, and we can't stop time. And time is unrelentingly the same for us all. And how often have people said, I wish I could go back in time. Oh, there's 60 minutes and one, 60 seconds and one minute and 60 minutes and one hour and 24 hours in one day and seven days in one week and 365 days in one year and 70, 80 years. That's one life. And so there are things we can't afford to spend time on. We can't afford to spend time on hate and grudges and meanness and laziness and jealousy and immorality, unfaithfulness and unfruitfulness. There are two things you all and we all must know about time. The first one is this. Time is constantly moving, and it's constantly moving us forward. David attested to this fact in Psalm 37 and verse 25 when he wrote, I have been young. In fact, that's when we meet him. 
the young shepherd boy who comes up and eventually defeats Goliath. We don't even process it, but David's young when we meet him. But by the time he writes the psalm, he says, I have been young and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. There are many people listening this very morning. You know what? They can say the same thing. You can go to their homes and look at the picture, and grandchildren do sometimes. They open up grandmas and great-grandmoms and fathers, their, 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 their albums, and they look at the picture, and they say, look at you. And the grandparents and great-grandparents say, yeah, I used to be young, and now I'm old. You know what? I can now say that. I have been young, and now I am old. And somebody hearing that, older than I am, will say, Eric, you're not old, you're just a baby. To which I say, thank you. <laughs> but I follow that with this thought. Just because somebody is older doesn't mean I'm not old. <laughs> a lifespan is 70 to 80 years. That means middle age is 35 to 40. I'm way past middle aged. His father said, I've been young and I am old. You know what his son said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12? Solomon said, remember now the creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Once we're born, the clock starts. That's how it works. We're infants and then toddlers, adolescents and preteens and then teens. And boy, doesn't it move fast? At least it feels like it. Pretty soon with teens and then young adults and then adults and then we go to high school and we graduate and somebody says, what are you doing next? I'm going to college. Fantastic. After you go to college, what are you going to do now? I'm going to start my career. That's great. What are you going to do next? I'm going to get married. Outstanding. And now you're married and they say, when are you going to have children? And then you have children and then you say, when are the children going to leave? And one day you walk around the house and there's no children there. And then you say, what are we going to do now with no children? Time is not going fast. It's just going constantly. We slow down. Time doesn't. We stop. Time doesn't. The first thing you should know about time is that time is constantly moving and it's constantly moving us forward. The second thing you should know about time, equally important, is this. We don't have much of it. You don't have much time. The gracious, good, benevolent, all-knowing God of heaven told us. In fact, it would have been sufficient if he just told us once, but he didn't. He kept on telling us over and over and over again, you don't have much time. Now, why would he do that? Number one, so you would know it. Number two, so you would not be surprised when people ran out of it. And people are going to die. You're going to die. At some point, you're going to run out of time. You know who telling you that? God is telling you that. Well, if I know that, what should I do? You should act in harmony with the knowledge that I'm going to run out of time one day. God has told us repeatedly. In fact, he told us in a myriad of ways. In Psalm 90, beginning in verse number 9, you will find these words. The psalmist says, For all of our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Talking to my brother who preaches in Virginia, wanted to be here but couldn't. He told me on one occasion, when I'm sitting and having Bible studies with people, Eric, I try to get to know them. I try to figure them out. And so I asked them, and this is what he said. He said, I asked him, tell me your story. 
how did you become you? And how did you get here? What happened? And then he said, they sit down and they start telling me. Well, how long does it take? He said, not long. Why don't you try it sometime? Wherever you are in your life, tell the story. When were you born? What'd you do next? How did you get here? That's what the psalmist is saying. We spend our years, how? As a tale that is told. You know what? I guarantee you this. You will find it won't take that long for you to tell it because we don't have much time. The psalmist doesn't say it's just a tale that is told. No, he says the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. And it is, please underscore the next word, it is soon cut off and we all fly away. What should I do with that knowledge? He covers that in the very next verse. Verse number 12 of that chapter says, so teach us to do what? Number our days. Have you numbered them? How many you got left? Teach us to number our days. Why? So we can apply our hearts to knowledge. What's our life like? Psalm 39, 4 and 5 says this, Lord, make me to know my end and measure the measure of my days. What is it that I may know how frail I am? Behold, thou hast made my days as in hand breath. While it's not a measurement we readily use today, all you have to do is hold your hand something like that and then just measure the breadth of your hand and you'll have it. How long is my life? It's a hand breath. How long is my life? It's a tale that is told. How long? First Chronicles 29 and verse number 15, the, the writer says this, For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, and we're all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. Or maybe Job's words in Job 14, verse number 1 and verse number 2, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth like a shadow and continues not. Or maybe the more commonly knows one in James chapter 4, where James says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on tomorrow, for what is your life? Pause, stop, think about it, marinate on it. In fact, if you have some time this afternoon, if you have time, if you have some time this afternoon, sit down and ask yourself, what is my life? James says, it's a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. One of the greatest lies ever told is you got time. The longest life is not much compared to eternity. And all of those 80 years are a hand breath. All of those 80 years are a shadow. All of those 80 years are a vapor. And we're all well down the road toward the 80. If God is trying to tell us anything, it's that we don't have much time. It's a lie that somebody has spun, maybe Satan and his cohorts. Put it off. You'll get around to it. Don't worry about it. It can wait. These actions can lead to habits, habits that become part of our character, that define who we are and inevitably determine our destinies. You know, some people have been getting around to obeying the gospel. For how long? 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. 25 years ago, they entered an assembly. Somebody invited them to the Lord's congregation. They came. They worshiped. Preacher did an outstanding job in presenting Jesus and him crucified. They heard it. They were pricked. They heard the gospel, and they said to themselves, you know what? I'm not going to go this week, but I'm going to get around to it. Twenty years later, you know what they're doing? They're still getting around to it. They have people who have been in the Lord's assemblies so long that individuals think they're members. 
I've heard of people who have actually served in the Lord's Supper and not members of the body because they've been there so long that they thought they were members. And it's almost as if somehow the person has put into their mind that by being close in proximity, that means I'm going to get in. It does not. It just means you are close to being saved and you're going to go to hell from right there. He's not just obeying the gospel, though. There are some Christians who have been putting off changing, putting off repenting, putting off doing some things they know they need to do. And you know how long they've been putting them off? The same amount of time. You know what they keep telling themselves? I'm going to get around to it. They look right at it. They know the change. They know it's necessary. They know it needs to be done. In fact, they fool themselves. They sit right today in the assembly believing that they're going to get around to it. They don't even know. They have taken a spiritual sedative and put desire and determination and diligence to sleep. They don't realize they won't ever get around to it because they're going to run out of time. Because they let the best chance to change go by years ago. They don't even realize it. They have fooled themselves. They have prioritized inaction above action. They have accepted excuses rather than truth. They have embraced failure over success. Procrastination is going to cause many people to destroy their lives in the present and eventually lose their souls later. Time is moving, and you don't have much of it. You know what that should urge us all to do is don't squander it. Don't make the mistake of squandering time like this man did. He wrote a song about a man, a man that squandered time. It sounded something like this. He said, my son arrived just the other day. He came into the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. He was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And when he walked away, but his smile never dimmed, he said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came home from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son's moved away. Called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and kids have the flu, but it's sure been nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure been nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. Yeah, my boy was just like me. There are some people who have time, but they're going to squander it. You're going to leave a legacy. It's just a matter of which one. Have your Bibles. Look at Joshua chapter 24, and let's learn a couple of things about legacies this morning. And again, we invite you to come back tonight, and we'll finish up and talk about some practical things about how to leave a good legacy. Point number one regarding legacies, the legacies are unavoidable. Joshua summons the nation together. That's Joshua 24 in the first few verses. He begins to tell the nation about their past and about what God has done and all the things that God has provided, all the way back to Abraham and his fathers. The call of Abraham, the, actually the leadership of Moses, and he comes down to this point, and it's very likely that Joshua himself has aged and become old. He probably was a young man when he began to serve Moses, and now Moses is dead. That's Joshua chapter 1. 
Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 1 and 2, it says that Joshua and that, that entire generation, they'll die and be passed away. And so we're right near the end of Joshua's life, and Joshua summons the nation, and he begins to recount to them. The thing he talks about is legacies. The thing that's noteworthy is legacies are unavoidable. Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 15, the Bible says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. You can find similar language in John 4, 23, 24. He says, Put away the, the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Here's our first point. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose. Why are legacies unavoidable? Because you're going to have to choose. Choices are the result of freedom. And when God made us in his image, Genesis 1, 26, 27, God fixed it so that we didn't just have the ability to choose, but he allows us and confronts us with the necessity to choose. In Genesis chapter 3, there are trees in the garden. There are trees you can eat of, and there is a tree which is forbidden. What must you do? You must choose which one. You go a little further in Genesis chapter 4, and one person offers by faith, and the other person does not. What's the difference? One chose faith, one chose to be of the wicked one. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5 says the world chose. What did they chose? Every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Is that everybody? No, there was another man. Noah chose, and he walked with God. Legacies are unavoidable because choices are unavoidable. Every day we make a myriad of choices, most of which are mundane in their nature, but there are some major choices being made every single day. Joshua, in addressing the nation of Israel, he said, choose. That's what makes legacies unavoidable. But then secondly, Joshua says that choices are personal. The question this morning is, what will your legacy, not what will your spouse's legacy be, not what will your children's legacy be or your parents? No. The question is, what will yours be? Because in the very same verse, Joshua didn't say choose not only, he said choose ye. Well, who's assembled? The entire nation. But he's not talking to the entire nation. He's talking to every individual within the nation. And every individual standing with Joshua on that day must make a decision. Choose ye. Every person will leave a legacy because every person must choose. Freedom brings choice. Choice brings responsibility. And that is what God will use to judge us individually. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 25, the Bible says, he that doeth wrong. Well, who is that? He. Whoever he is. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there's no respect of persons. Well, not everybody will choose evil. That's right. Because Acts 10, 34, Peter says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that worketh righteousness is accepted of him. What are our options? You can either choose evil or you can choose righteousness. But you will choose, and God will judge. Joshua practiced what he preached. In the very verse, Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's not telling Israel to do something he won't do. Joshua can no more avoid leaving a legacy than they can, and every person must choose. No one can be held responsible for somebody else's choices. It's been tried in the Bible. Adam tried it. He blamed Eve. 
Maybe God by implication. King Saul tried it. He blamed David. Moses tried it. He blamed the people, and God accepted none of it. The third thing that's noteworthy about Joshua's statement is Joshua said choice is present and perpetual. Joshua said, choose ye this day. When are you going to make your choice as to serve God or reject God? You'll do that today. In fact, it's the way legacies are, are left. Legacies are the result of continual daily choices made over a lifetime and brought to an end. And then we say what you did. The problem is far too many people want to live one way and then be remembered another way. They want to live contrary to God, and then they want to die and be remembered as having lived faithfully for God. There is a man in the Bible who actually tried it. In fact, he tried it in the very midst of his rebellion. His name is Balaam. He knew he was going to leave a legacy, but he wanted to leave a righteous legacy. And so in Numbers 23 and verse number 10, he says this, who can, doubt the dust, who can count the dust of Jacob and number the fourth part of Israel? Here's his request. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. He didn't die the death of the righteous. How do you know? One of the great things about the New Testament is it comments on the Old Testament. And very often it gives us information and details we don't get in the Old Testament. So what we have in the Old Testament is Balaam's request, let me die the death of the righteous. Thousands of years later, we have the New Testament writers writing by inspiration about Balaam. This is what they say. Three times he comes up, and every time he's mentioned in the context of people living in rebellion to God. One of them is in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 15. Peter, speaking of false teachers and those who have gone away from God, he says, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Jude talks about him. Same context. Jude chapter 1, verse number 11. In fact, if you'll read 2 Peter 2 and immediately read the book of Jude, you'll think you're reading the same thing. The language is so close and so similar, the context, so, so much the same. False teachers, false doctrine, those leaving the Lord. You know who comes up again? Balaam. In Jude, in verse 11, the Bible says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran eat greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. He is mentioned with Cain and Korah, individuals who lived in rebellion to God. Balaam is right in there with him. He's not the only one. The last book of the Bible, John writing to the seven churches of Asia, one of those churches, Pergama, he mentions Balaam. He says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. What's Balaam's legacy? He taught Israel to sin and to commit fornication and to worship idols. Here's our problem. The world will allow it. The world will allow, accept, and endorse for somebody to live a life in complete and total rebellion to God, mockery of God, rejection of God. And then when they die, a preacher will stand up and say what a fantastic life they lived and how much they loved the Lord and how they pleased God, and we will just flat out lie. But God won't. Here is the important note you should remember. No one can live the life of the wicked and die the death of the righteous. 
Number two, once we die, legacies are permanent. God cannot and will, be, will not be mocked. The law of sowing and reaping demands it, that we must reap what we've sown. In fact, it's so sure that God gives us a warning so that we're not fooled. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7, the Bible opens by saying, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. The person who sows to the Spirit and lives a faithful life could not possibly miss going to heaven. The person who has sown to the flesh and lived a wicked life could not possibly get to heaven. Since God cannot be fooled, the only person we are fooling is ourselves. You cannot live a life of fear and be credited with a life of faith. See the ten spies. You cannot live the life of a troublemaker and then be credited with being a peacemaker. You can't live the life of being a double-minded individual and then be credited with the stability, a life of stability. You can't live a life of disobedience and be credited with a life of obedience. If you are a mean person, when you die, we cannot honestly say you were a nice person. If you are a rude person, when you die, we can't honestly say you were a kind and polite person. Now, I say we can't possibly honestly say it because we lie. And we will say you were what you weren't, but God won't. Thousands of years have passed, and the legacies of Ahab and Jezebel have not changed. Thousands of years have passed, and the legacies of Ananias and Sapphira have not changed. Thousands of years have passed, and the legacy of Judas has not passed. While we are living, we can write, even rewrite, our stories. But after we die, we cannot change our legacies. Put the thoughts together. It would sound like this. Time is how you leave your legacy. But time is moving constantly forward. And we don't have much time. And legacies are unavoidable. And legacies are made by choices. And choices are personal and present. And once we die, legacies are permanent. And when I light of all of that, would you consider this thought? What if you had died last night? What would your legacy be? If they were writing your obituary, if they were engraving your stone. What would they write? If you had died last night, obviously you couldn't be here this morning. If you had died last night, they'd have to write what you lived up to that point. Now, they're going to have your funeral. They're going to say stuff about you. Will it be true? But more importantly, what would God say? Legacies aren't determined by what people say at funerals. Legacies are determined by how God judges the way we live. Ask yourself this. If I had died last night, my legacy had been written, what kind of husband was I to my wife? You were to love her as Christ loved the church, did you? That's what Ephesians 5.25 says. 
you were to give your life for her as Christ gave his for the church. Did you? You were to love her as your own body, Ephesians 5, 28. Did you? Oh, no, this would not be the time to look at your wife because you're the husband. See, these words are the husband's. You were to love her, to honor her, to cherish her. Did you? You were to do honor to her as unto the weaker vessel so that your prayers are not hindered, 1 Peter 3, 7 and 12. In fact, you made vows before God and witnesses. Did you keep them? You might say, well, Eric, that's a great point, and tomorrow I'm going to get started. I would have to say, oh, sorry, friends, I see you died last night. Well, you ran out of time because time is constantly moving forward, and you didn't have much of it. You must have thought that you were going to get around to it, and now we have to write the legacy you lived. But what kind of wife have I been? You would submit yourself to him as the church, as the church does to Christ, did you? Ephesians 5.22. You were to reverence him, Ephesians 5.33, did you? You were to obey him. Yeah, that's in the Bible, Titus 2.5, King James Version. That's what it says. You were to do that, did you? You were to have a meek and gentle spirit. But Eric, you don't understand. No, 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 that's not written to husbands. That's written to wives, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. That was you were supposed to do that, did you? Oh, yeah, you made vows before God and witnesses. Did you keep them? She might say, well, Eric, that's a good point. I'm gonna get, no, I'm sorry. See, you, you died last night. We have to write the legacy you lived up to that point. In fact, while you're here and thinking about husbands and wives, let me offer this. Remember your wedding ceremony? You remember, I'm sure, because likely you sent out invitations. And, and you probably didn't realize it when you sent them out, but heaven got an invitation and God RSVP'd. He sure did. He attended your wedding. He sure did. In fact, he heard you pray and include him. He heard you invite him in to your marriage. You did that. He heard you and the preacher ask for blessings on this union. He did that. In fact, you may have had one of those unity lighting candle ceremonies where we put out the one on this end, we put out the one on that end, and what do we want? We want a union and a unity and God bless. You may have did that hand ceremony where our hands are young now, but we're going to intertwine them, and as they age, you go, you may have done that. You may have brought that sand up there, and you took one sand and this sand, and you poured them in, and you mixed them up. These sands can never be taken away from each other. You did that, and God was there watching every single bit of it, and then you sealed it with rings and made vows to God and each other. You know what God said? I'll hold you to that. The wise Solomon said, it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Let me ask you, did you do it? Because your legacy is written. See, you, you died last night. But what kind of father was I? You were to teach your children God's Word. That's what you were to do. That's your charge. Oh, no, I outsourced that to my wife. No, you were supposed to do that. Did you do it? Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 10. You were the leader. You were to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. That was your charge. You were to do that. You were to model Christ before them. You were never to tell them, don't do as I do, do as I say. That was never to be yours because Christ didn't do that to you. Did you prepare your children for eternity, or did you leave their eternal destiny up to the church and chance? Time's up, Dad. Legacy's written. You died last night. But what kind of Christian was I? Christians are followers of Jesus Christ, imitators no less of Jesus. My brother loves this word, the hoopagramas. The underwriting, the one that you mimic to be like. 
You take that alphabet A and you, you write your A over that A. You transcribe it and, and you stay on the line and you become just what it is. Did you do that with Jesus? Disciples of Christ are by definition learners of Christ. Did you learn him or did you just attend church? They better be happy I'm coming, really. They better be happy you're coming. Well, God bless you for that. But did you learn Jesus while you were coming? I made it to the services. That's great. Did you learn Jesus? You're not going to tell me how to—did you shine your light? Because that was your charge. Let your light so shine, not somebody else's. Did you salt the earth? Did you harness and then subdue your tongue? Or do you just get to keep saying anything you want to say? Or did you do what Colossians 4 says, and let your speech be always seasoned with salt, that it might impart grace to the hearers? Or did you just jump right over James chapter 3, where you're supposed to bridle your tongue? Did you do that, Christian friend? Did you share the good news? Oh, no, no, Eric, I don't do that. You know, Eric didn't give that command. Jesus did. Did you bear one another's burdens? Or did you say, I don't want those people in my business? Did you get diligence to know God's word? Or did you just say, no, I'm going to let the preacher study for me? Did you grow in grace and in knowledge? Or have you ever learned more than where you began and mature in Jesus? Did you add to your faith? Or were they just supposed to be happy you even came and had a faith? Did you let Christ's mind be your mind, Philippians 2, 5? Or did you think that was optional? No, I'm sorry. Time's up, Christian. You're thinking about it. You're saying tomorrow I'm going to. But see, you died last night. And whatever you were as a Christian, that's what we have to write. That's what you did with your legacy as a Christian. What kind of preacher was I? Did I preach the gospel or myself? Did I preach healthy teaching, sound doctrine that cannot be condemned? Or did I preach my opinion? Did I preach Jesus and him crucified? Or did I preach the thoughts of men? Did I preach the whole counsel of God, or were there certain topics that when I got up, y'all looked mean, and therefore, I just didn't touch those doctrines? Did I preach the truth, or did I refuse to offend? Did I preach for gain or to please men? Paul says, if I seek to please men, I cannot be the servant of Christ. Please understand, the work of a preacher is not about church politics. It's not about busy work. It's about faithfully preaching and teaching and living the whole counsel of God. So let me urge, when you're looking for a congregation, stop looking for smooth talking, storytelling, smiling, sorry preachers who leave you in your sins. And look for a faithful proclaimer of God's Word. But you know what? Time's going to run out on preachers too. And that legacy will be written. What kind of elder was I? Elders are to feed the flock of God, did you? Elders ought to take care of God's sheep and shepherd them, did you? Elders ought to stop the mouths of gainsayers. Elders ought to watch out for the sheep. Elders, did you allow God's sheep to be scattered? Elders, did you allow God's sheep to eat unhealthy teaching? Elders, did you leave the 90 and 9 and go get the one? Elders, did you lead God's sheep or did you let the preacher do it? The work of elders is not about programs. People love programs, programs, programs. Elders' work is not about programs, it's about people. So Christians, stop looking for congregations with great programs and sorry, loose elders with God's Word. 
Instead, look for congregations with faithful shepherds who will watch out for your soul and who will even have the gall and the care to tell you to grow in grace and in knowledge and get out of sin. Time's going to run out on the elders, too. What kind of deacon was I? What kind of son or daughter was I? Did I obey my parents as God commanded? Did I honor my father and my mother? Some people think because I'm grown now, I can talk any way I want to. My parents, I'll tell them, did God say that? They're not the boss of me. I got my own house, and I'll tell them where to go. Did God say that? Did I murmur and complain, young people? Did I talk back? Did I suck my teeth? Did I roll my eyes? Did I close the door and then tell them and everybody in my mind and in that room what I think about them? Did you follow the world or did you follow God? The wise proverb writer says, even the child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. You see, here's the reality everybody must face and we all must embrace. The way we die will be the way we were raised. That's how it will be. We will live and then we will die that way. And then we will be raised the way we died. Our legacy is, is written. The question is, what will it say? Maybe better yet, what will God say? Everybody's going to leave a legacy. And God is in the business of watching, even assessing, and by inspiration, taking the time to write them down. Hebrews chapter 11 could just as well not simply be a great and remarkable chapter on faith. It's really a list of obituaries. Abel, he had a testimony that he was righteous. Enoch, he walked with God and he pleased God. Noah, he saved his household. Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed and went out. Sarah, she judged God's faithful and she conceived. These, oh, time would fail to tell you about Jephthah and the judges and all of these individuals. They all died in faith. Question, what will yours be? Legacies are unavoidable. Legacies are made by choice. Legacies are personal. And once we die, legacies are permanent. Invite you to come back tonight. We'll finish our thoughts with regards to legacies. Talk about how to leave a legacy that ultimately God will endorse and God will be pleased with. You're not a Christian this morning. This will be a great time, if necessary, for you to obey the gospel and start a new legacy. And to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's the good news. Can you imagine a world where there was no Jesus? Can you imagine a world where there was no hope out of the way we have lived our lives? But there is hope, and there is Jesus, and it's so we can write a new legacy. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am, you'll die in your sins. But Jesus said more than believe. He said, repent. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, if you don't repent, you'll perish. We have to confess his name, Romans 10, 9 and 10, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. We confess the name of Jesus. We say the same thing. He is the Son of God. We confess that. And then we are baptized, immersed in water, buried with him in baptism so that we can rise and walk, don't you love it, in newness of life. That's a new legacy. What an opportunity and privilege is ours. 
man, this would be a bad time if you said, I'm going to get around to it. Oh, if you need to obey the gospel, God's offer is always the same. Today is the day, and now is the time. What if you are his child? Friends, you'll have to examine yourself, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And you'll have to ascertain whether or not the life you lived is the one you want written. Because we don't know what's going to be on tomorrow. If you need to make changes in your life, we invite you, no, we urge you, we beg you, we plead with you. Make those changes now while you have time. Please don't procrastinate and run out of it. If we can help you this morning in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.